Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We are in a series, series called Surviving Suffering. And uh, I'm excited about this series. And the reason why I'm excited uh, about this series is that I have 13 weeks. There's 13 weeks before Easter. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book of Job to try to understand how to survive suffering. And then we're going to go all the way up and then go through the cross at the very end, all the way up to Easter, and then give even the celebration right before Easter. So we're working our way up to Easter, and I know we're 13 weeks away, 14 weeks away, but still, we're looking at Easter and the concept of this topic, surviving suffering. And uh, we ask a question because it is a big question, um, how do you survive it? I mean, all of us know that we go through it. I mean, I think that that's just obvious. Um, if you don't go through it, what you end up doing is you walk with people that are going through it on an extreme amount. In fact, if you don't go through it, say you live a life that is absolutely completely of ease and uh, you never have a single problem. I don't think there's anybody in the room that is, but you never have any single problem at all. And, uh, and then you live a long life. You live to 100 years old and all those things. Um, what do you do your whole life? You bury your friends. You walk with your friends who suffer. Suffering is a part of your life. It's a part of your people's, your friend's life, your family's life, your relationship's life, and is a part of our life. Suffering is a part about everything. So it's a topic that, that relates to every single one of us. It's a topic that uh, needs to be answered, and it's a question that everybody's asking. And what is the question? Well, how do I survive this? And there's different methods that the world has come up with to survive this, and even religions have been developed on regards to how to survive it. The Buddhists say, you know, you need to accept it. This is how you survive it. Just, um, just come to the conclusion that it's going to happen. You've got to accept it. Karma says you need to pay for it. If you're going to survive it, you're, you're going to have to pay for it. You better get your mindset. Fatalism says you need to endure it. Secularism says avoid it at all costs. We need to know how to survive it, and we all want to survive it. Why? Because we're all suffering. During these 13 weeks, we're going to say, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about surviving suffering? Number one is a foundational statement of how to survive suffering. To survive suffering, you need to find strength, rest, and peace in God's unconditional love. We are again going to work through the book of Job. Uh, everybody goes through the book of Job when we talk about suffering. How can you avoid the book of Job when you talk about suffering? And this morning, we're going to travel all the way through the book really, really, not fast, but we're going to give you a whole perspective of the entire 42 chapters. And whatever the first chapter says is what's going to relate to all the next chapters in the, in the book. So however you interpret the first chapter is how you're going to interpret the, the rest of the chapters. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you parts of the first chapter, and then we'll, we're going to unfold what's taking place during the rest of the story. So if you look in your notes, we'll be answering these questions as we walk through. Satan questions the theology of unconditional love. Job's friends thwart the theology of unconditional love. Job's life proclaims the theology of unconditional love, and unconditional love is a foundational source of surviving suffering. So that's through your notes. This is where we're traveling. This is where we're going. So let's look at the first passage, Job 1, 6 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back, forth, back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and he's upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan says? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and all that he has? 
You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to the face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is yours, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So when you look at the book of Job, I'll tell you a lot of people are mad at God. (laughs) And the reason why they're mad at God is because they read this passage. And they say, what is God making deals with Satan and and Job paying the consequences? consequences?" Because Job was an upright man. He was a a good man. He was blameless. I mean, the passage gives all the the credibilities of, of Job. And then all of a sudden, God brings it up. Job doesn't bring it up. God brings it up. Have you ever considered my servant Job? In other words, People are saying, why is God playing games with people for? And when we see Job suffering, we're looking at, oh my goodness, how could God even allow this? And then all of a sudden, we interpret the entire book through that lens, and the entire book makes us mad. Why? Because God is not playing the role that we really want God to play in this book. But let's look at this through the concept of why it was written. Because why was the book of Job written? I mean, what was the main point? What's the main driving source? What's the main theme that goes through the book of Job that says, this is what I want to present to the people that are going to read this book for 3,000 years? What is the main one? You know, a lot of people say, well, it's, it's suffering. It's how to survive suffering. I would say that's a sub-point. That's not necessarily the driving point. Some may say, well, how to walk with God you know, in, in suffering, because Job walked with God all the way through suffering. And I would say, yes, that's a huge point, but I'd still call it uh, a sub-point. Well, you might say, well, how not to respond to people in suffering? <laughs> you got Job's three friends, and those three friends gave really bad advice. Don't do it that way. No, that's not the point that he's trying to get across. Well, what would the point that he's trying to get it, uh, across is a theology of love. I would say a theology of love. And he was looking, well, how did you find a theology of love in that verse? Well, let's talk a little bit about theology of love. There's two different kinds of relationships. There's a business relationship, and there is a love relationship. A business relationship looks like, I love you because of it. I don't love you for you and you of yourself. I love you because of what you have. I love you because what you can give me. You ever had a really close friend that has befriended you and said, you know, I just really like to be your friend. But then all of a sudden you find out that he wanted something or she wanted something. And after he found out you, she wanted something, he wanted something, and you didn't give it to them, the person says, okay, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. And they walk away. What about the young man that pursues a young lady and says, you know what? You're really amazing. You're really beautiful. And you completely affirm this young lady. But uh, he has in his mind that a sexual relationship would take place if the affirming takes place. And if the affirming happens, and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen, and all of a sudden he's long gone. It's not, I love that person for that person. I love that person for what that person has. I love that person for what that person gives me. I love that person for what I can get from that person. Sounds like a, a, a wicked love, isn't it? Well, it absolutely is a wicked love, but the Bible talks about an unconditional love and a conditional love. And an unconditional love is your love mechanism that is going out towards people. I love you just because I love you. That's period. 
I'm not expecting anything in return. Unconditional love is pointing out to people, to people, to people, to people, to people. Conditional love is your love mechanism that points directly to you. I actually love you because I love myself. Therefore, what I can get out of you is very, very important. It is a wicked love, but I will tell you that it is the only thing that's wrong with this world. The only thing that's wrong with this world, because think about this world. If every single person had an unconditional love for every single person that they come in contact with, what would happen to this world? It would turn into heaven. <laughs> but because we don't, we have a self-love, and we don't necessarily love people. We almost network people, or we almost treat people like an object because we're trying to get something from people. It's, it's a business relationship. You know, business is all right to be tough. Well, we just take love and we just connect it with business and say, oh yeah, our marriage relationships can even be based on that. I'm doing what I can get from you. What it does is it dehumanizes, it depersonalizes. It turns people into an object. But it doesn't only hurt you uh, or hurt them, it actually hurts you as well. And how does it hurt you? It turns you into an exploiter. In other words, you're not feeling loved. What are you going to do? You're going to make it happen. And you can do whatever you possibly can so it will come your direction. Turns you into a manipulator, a liar, a stealer, a cheater. Turns you into somebody who's hard. It turns you into some cynical person that's like Satan in himself. So what happens is if we don't have an unconditional love, I love you in spite of who you are, what you give me, what you have. I love you because I love you. If we do not do that, we turn into an animal. We turn into a beast. And I know that we do this all consistently uh, through our lives, but ask a question. A business relationship, am I in a business relationship with my wife, or am I in a love relationship with my wife? Am I a business relationship with my children, or am I in a love relationship with my children? I mean, think about it this way. You know, my children, what can they do to the point where I say, okay, I don't love you anymore? In other words, you need to do this because I love you, but what can they do to the point that they say, okay, I don't, I don't love you anymore? What can my wife do to the point to say, okay, I, I don't love you anymore? Well, I'm not in a business relationship. So I will love them unconditionally. There's my heart that's pulled towards them unconditional. That is unconditional love. There's two different kinds of love. The business relationship, or I do not love you for it. I love you for you and of yourself. Let's work through the passage. Number two, Satan accuses Job of living and serving God only by what he can get from God. Verse 9, what does this say? Does Job fear God for nothing? Uh, you have put a hedge around him, his household, everything he has. You have blessed the works of his hands. You have stretched out his hands and strike everything that he has. Do you know what he's going to do? Is that love relationship will be gone. This is Satan in his evil, Satan in his sickness, Satan attacking unconditional love, and he's attacking unconditional love with a person to a God. Literally saying, people love you for a reason, God. You know what? You're in a position. You're in a position, King of kings, Lord of lords, and you have a lot. You have an absolute lot, and you can give an absolute lot. And do you know what people do to you? They don't love you for you. They exploit you. They use you. In other words, if you took Job's money, if you took Job's health, if you took Job's prosperity, if you took Job's status, you would see what his love is based on with you, God. You will see what his love is based on with you. 
If you take all of it, the truth will be proclaimed that Job exploits you, that Job uses you, that Job networks you, that Job manipulates you, and that Job's relationship to you is just skin deep, meaning that if he has nothing and you break that protection, then he's going to deny you. He's going to curse you. Relationships will be broken. Satan and his evilness doesn't stop there. Number three, Satan inadvertently accuses God that he can't even get love from people unless he bribes them. <laughs> you ever bribe somebody to go out on a date? I'll give you a hundred bucks <laughs> if you go on a date, if you go on a date with me. You ever bribe something to get something? I mean, bribing, that's, that's, wi- that's wickedness. Well, I'll tell you that uh, Job's accusing God specifically of it. I don't even like to say those words, but he's accusing God of it completely and entirely. God, you can't have a relationship with humans. They will only love you for what they can get out of you. You must bribe them and continue to bribe them. And if you don't and give them what they want, then you know what's going to happen? The relationship with human beings with you is going to be completely broken. So what's God's response to that? <laughs> I mean, we see this in this conversation, but what's God's response to that? God's response is, uh, let's write a book. <laughs> let's write a book. I know Job's heart. I know who Job is. And I know that he loves me for, he, for myself and for myself alone. In fact, let's write a book and let's call it the book of Job. And let's let people read this book for 3,000 years. And as they read this book for 3,000 years, they will see that human beings can love me completely and entirely unconditional. In other words, when human beings have absolutely nothing from me, they will love me for me and me alone. Now, I don't want to remember that this is before the cross of Christ has taken place. But this is what God's saying. He will love me for me and me alone. Mankind and God can have a relationship that is not a business relationship, and I will show the world by doing something to Job. I'll hand him to you, Satan. In fact, you can have him. Take him. Do what you want. What does Satan do? He loses his wealth. He loses his income. He loses his means of living. He loses his ten children. He loses his health. He loses his health so bad that he is completely and entirely unrecognizable. Have you ever had sores that are just completely growing all over your body? Well, that's pretty disgusting. But the most disgusting part about sores growing over your body in regards to Job is that the worms loved the sores. So the worms started coming up out of the sores, and that was like, oh, I just got to get rid of the worms. I mean, get rid of the worms. I can do the sores, but I can't, get, I can't do the worms. His was so unrecognizable because his health was so bad. He lost support from his wife, his relatives, his friends, his community. He even lost his righteous name because people said, well, you got to sin underneath somewhere. You're doing something wrong. He lost absolutely everything was taken away. Things were taken away so much to the point that his friends came up and says, we love you, Job, and we got to give you some help. I will tell you what these friends are for. What these friends are for is remember that God is writing a book. (laughs) And what he is writing in the book of the right answer and the wrong answer. So he wants to make it very clear to us. He gives us three friends that come up to give Job advice. Remember what the book's about? It's about unconditional love, that you can love me under any circumstances. But what do these friends do? Let's look at them. Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, tell Job to get his business right with God and he will stop suffering. (laughs) Don't forget, Job, you're in a business relationship with God. You give to God, you will get back. You don't give to God, 
you will suffer. It is a business relationship. It is not a love relationship. Let's look at what Elphaz says. Elphaz says, I mean, he, he has a couple chapters that are entirely in the Bible, but wh- what does he say? This is the driving principle. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. In other words, Job, innocent people don't perish. Innocent people are healthy people. Innocent people are happy people. Innocent people are rich people. That's what this advice is. So in other words, get innocent so you can get healthy. Get innocent so you can be happy. Get innocent so you can be rich. Get your business straight with God because he's the one that brings the source to it. He also says, upright are never destroyed. Upright people don't lose their jobs. Upright people don't go bankrupt. Upright people don't get sick. Your business with God is not correct. You need to get your business together because if you don't get your business together, you're not going to get what you need from God. Well, that was just one person and his advice. Well, you have another person, Bildad, another friend, completely different mind, completely different setting. What does he say? He says the same thing. He just says it in a different way. Job 8, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to the rightful place. Pure people are restored. Pure people are taken care of. Pure people are given peace. Your business is not right with God. We don't see it, Job, but you know it is in there because if it was not in there, everything would be good because remember, you're in a business relationship with God. You give, he gives back. You take, he will take away. And you've got to get that put together. Zophar, he says the same thing. Job 11, if you put away this sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm without fear. Put away sin. If you put away sin, you know what's going to happen? Satan won't touch you. Is that, is that true? <laughs> we, we know what happened. We saw it at the first chapter. But this advice is put away sin and Satan won't touch you. Put away sin and shame. Will not be on your face whatsoever. Put away sin and the world will not harm you. Put away sin and you will never fear. In other words, get your business relationship with God and get your stuff together so your life will be put together. Now we can look at this and you know, that's kind of a good advice. <laughs> that's kind of good advice. And is it? Within the book, Job, God responds to that advice. And it's found in Job chapter 42. He says, after the Lord, this is God speaking, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he had a conversation with Job, but now he starts to talk to his three friends. He said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. Look at the words. You have not spoken of me what is right. Did God kind of miss his words up a little bit? Because those people never spoke of God. They actually spoke of Job. <laughs> they said, Job, you're the one that has the problem. But when God confronts him, he says, you haven't spoken of me what is right. I'm given a revelation to the world of what unconditional love is, and it is going to come out of Job's life. And this is the situation that I have put in place so the world will see that Job loves me for me and nothing else in the process of this suffering. And when you gave him advice, you weren't speaking bad about him. You were denying this unconditional love that should be seen. You're denying this unconditional love that I have for him and that he has for me. And you are creating more of a business love 
than Job has, that Job should be having with me. And that's the advice you gave him. So good news. Job's life proclaims a theology of unconditional love. What happens? All the suffering takes place, but what happens? Number five, Job's love for God. Job did not love God for what he could get from him, but he loved God for him himself, and the book was written and then proclaims it. And it is proclaimed through Job's own words. Job 1, 21 says, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a love relationship in there that when I have absolutely nothing, I still have God. When I have absolutely nothing, I still have God. He gave and it was good. I still had God. He takes away and it was bad, but I still have God. He continues through his book, Job 13. These are big statements that he says. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. You see Job's focus? And do you see where his focus is at? The one thing in his life that will never change, and that's the unconditional love of God. Job 42, my ears had heard you, but now... My eyes have seen you. His love is even bigger through the process of suffering. Because through all that suffering, through all that advice, through all of his friends, through everything that came Job's way in that process, he walked with God all the way through it. And when he walked with God all the way through it, he says, now I know you more. Now I see you more. Now I understand you more. Now I hear you more. Now I can listen to you more. There were so much blessings that came even through the suffering after he walked through it because he had a foundational base. And I tell you, he was weak at times. (laughs) But who isn't? But he kept keeping that base. I will not deny the only one thing that is absolutely true and that God's love is absolutely unconditional with me. He kept it and survived suffering. Unconditional love is the foundation and the source of suffering. It's the next point, number six. How do we apply this to our lives? In our suffering, never forget that you are not in a business relationship with God. You're in a love relationship. Now, Job did not have the resources that we have today. And what I mean that Job did not have the resources that we have today is because we have the New Testament. And we have Matthew, we have Mark, we have Luke, and we have John. And do you know what we have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we have in John, is we see, and then we got Romans and all those two that kind of enhance those things. What we see in those books is, number one, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are unlovable. We are haters of God. Evil has taken inside of us so deep, so strong, that we would reject God because it is at the core of our being. There is only one way we can be saved. There's only one way we can be saved. And what is it? It's by an unconditional love that does not love us for what we can do, not love us for what we have, not love us for what we can complete, not love us for what we can accomplish, not love us because we're obedient, because we all know that we're not obedient, but loves us for us and ourselves. And who was saying, making that statement? God. He came down to earth and lived the life that he could not live. 
in Jesus Christ. What did he do? He says, this is my unconditional love for you, and I will live an unconditional life, and you will see it during the three years of my ministry. And then I will die a death that is completely unconditional. In other words, I will die, and all they have to do is believe in me. It's not conditional. I'm going to give them this gift, and all they have to do is respond to me. This is completely and entirely unconditional. And then I will raise again, and as I raise again, I'll give them the Holy Spirit to proclaim the unconditional love in their life for the rest of their life as they live. But yet, as we suffer, first thing that starts to be questioned is God's unconditional love. The first thing that comes to our mind when we start questioning is God's unconditional love. Where is God? I wouldn't be suffering if he existed. What did I do? What do I need to fix? I mean, we've got to get this love put together if it's going to take place. First thing that happens when we suffer is we start pushing God even away. We start questioning God. We start thinking God's love is not unconditional because I wouldn't be going through this. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you know if your love is unconditional for God? The only way you can know your love is unconditional for God I'll say it again. The only way you can know that your love is unconditional with God is if he takes all of your stuff away. In other words, if you suffer. And then when Job suffered, all of a sudden his response came alive and he told the world, you can love God for nothing like I have done. So when we suffer, what's taking place? We can evaluate ourselves. We can evaluate our love. Am I in a business relationship with God or am I in an unconditional relationship with God? Job said I'm in an unconditional relationship with God and that's what got him through. That is a source that will get you through as well. The greatest argument against Christianity in the world is there is no God because there is suffering. But as we're working through the suffering, we'll answer a lot more questions in regards to that topic. But there is a God and there is suffering, but the unconditional love doesn't break. Number seven, in your suffering... God's unconditional love for you is rock solid. Don't push it away. What is suffering? If you can explain it in four words, um, I would say you don't have it. <laughs> what, what, what's it? Um, it would be peace. It would be Job. You don't have it. It would be friends. It would be health. It would be rest. It would be loved ones. Again, the revelation of do we have a uh, um, a unconditional love with God is when we don't have it, how do we respond? You have it. It's called the cross. And it, which is the cross, is the one source that you have when you have nothing, when all it is taken away. In your suffering, God's unconditional for love is rock solid. Don't push them away. (laughs) You start pushing away, you push away everything that you need and everything that you should have. Number eight, Job's unconditional love for God is what got him through his suffering. It is the foundation you need as well. Let's look for foundations. I'm going to bring it up again. The Buddha says accept it. Karma says pay for it. Fatalism says endure it. Secularism says avoid it. Choose one. (laughs) I mean, that's all. Is there any other options that are out there? We all suffer, and we've got to choose one. We've got to choose one. 
I believe that God is alive and all-powerful, all-beautiful, all-amazing, even as a result of our suffering. And I believe that there is something that's behind suffering that I don't know everything about, but God's hand is on it, and there's purpose in it. Christianity says when you have nothing but God, then you have absolutely everything you need, so don't let go of it. Hang on to it. God, every single one of us suffer. And God, we suffer in different degrees, some a lot more than others. And uh, God, as we suffer in these different degrees, there is one thing solid. And that thing solid, God, is, is that you love us. And that this love is unconditional. And that we are suffering, God, as a result of a business relationship with you, God. We suffer because there is a world that suffers and we live in it. But God, we can look at this love, God, through a relationship that you came to suffer for us. In fact, you came to take all the suffering that I really deserve and you put it on your son. He died, he rose. That's my answer, God, to survive and suffering. God, I pray that I will embrace it and everybody in the room will embrace it as well. In Christ's name, amen.